Listener Production. I am on Burke Street in Melbourne CBD and I've got some instructions. Uh, 12 precisely, meet at 80 Burke Street. You'll carry the day's newspaper in your right hand. I will be on the back seat and table to meet and brief. Uh, You will meet me, the orchids and the wonder cat. This is the closest I've come to feeling like I'm in a spy movie. I passed a fancy men's fashion store on the way here and saw a trench coat in the window. And I genuinely considered asking my Uber driver to pull over. The man I'm about to meet, I've been talking to for over a year now. He's sent me some useful material, books, documents, some cryptic tips. They've helped me in my mole hunt. So far, he's only spoken to me off the record. Now he's finally agreed to meet. The instructions for our meeting seem a bit over the top, but I've gone with it. It's 11.57 and 80 Burke Street is a trendy Italian restaurant, cafe sort of thing, very Melbourne. So I've just picked up a copy of The Age from a news agent across the road and I'm about to go in and meet this source in person for the first time. I probably shouldn't assault him with a microphone on first meeting, so I'm going to turn it off now. In my investigations so far, I've learnt why Australia was a target for the Soviet Union, why their spy agency, the KGB, was trying to get inside ASIO, and how ASIO made itself vulnerable to being infiltrated. I had a lot of information. However, I didn't have any names. I believe the man I'm about to meet has information that could help me. It relates to a top-secret government report created in the mid-1990s. I've heard this report contains secrets that go to the very heart of this story. They're so damaging that the government still doesn't want it to be released. I need to find out what's in it. I'm Joey Watson, and this is Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traitors. If I'm not going to identify you by name, how should I identify you? Um, what do you, what do you normally do, ex, an ex-intelligence analyst? My spy rendezvous was a success. No trench coat needed. The man and I had coffee, and he invited me up here to his apartment so we could talk without people eavesdropping. And then a specialist. I, and then how do you want to be referred to? Uh, by, you mean by name or...? Sure. Does the name matter, or do you want want a name? If you want to give a name. (laughs) Uh, It's a new situation for me. He asked me to call him Wasp. I'm not sure why. I kind of like the name, though. I can't tell you Wasp's exact job title because that would identify him. But he was mixed up in the world of espionage for decades. By sitting on the couch, listening to jazz. Beautiful. Classic. Fantastic. I meet the Wonder Cat. She's brushing up against me, asking for pats. A Russian blue, which seems appropriate. Music. 
Music will save you. At the back of the room is a wide arched window, and in front of that is what looks like science experiments. It's orchids, a whole bunch of them. Orchids seem to have a special place in the world of spycraft. They attract insects and birds to help them pollinate. Like in Australia, there are orchids that have evolved to release the pheromones of a female wasp to lure in males. They rely on deception to survive. Maybe that explains the code name. The orchids are beautiful. That's all you can say. Beauty matters. Form is beauty, beauty is form. In between the orchids and the couch are books scattered around, many of them filled with poetry. I mean, if you regard poetry as music, which I do, poetry is equally salvific mm. and therapeutic. I read a lot of poetry. You need imagination in counter-espionage. You cannot be good at it in counter-intelligence unless you have some kind of poetic faculty, some sort of gift to interpretation. What's it like working in a penetrated organisation? Unnerving. How so? Well, simply because you never know who you're dealing with. Mm. All the expected patterns of loyalty. There's always more to a story. What do you mean? There's very rarely discrete information in this area. It's um, tied to something else, but what the something else is is very elusive. It's not one story, it's uh, competing narratives and they're framed in ways that you are not meant to understand. They're designed to be complex and open-ended, designed to be ambiguous. And they're not designed to be solved above all. They're crafted, in other words. So every penetration or counter-espionage matter is framed in disinformation. Wasp is rabbiting on a bit here. So many people I've spoken to for this story speak in circles. It's hard to keep up with everything Wasp is telling me, but I latched onto the last word, disinformation. The KGB used it effectively. They developed operations to spread lies through Western democracies. Disinformation is still a tactic used by Russia. You might remember the 2016 US election when Russia used fake social media accounts to erode trust in the democratic process and help promote Donald Trump. I've got to be cautious of this in my mole hunt. In fact, WASP in particular has been described to me as a conspiracist. I've been warned to tread carefully. But he's given me helpful background information in my mole hunt already. I wanted to speak to WASP about a report that was created in 1994, around the time Operation Liver was wrapping up. I found out about Operation Liver in episode one, when the Australian Federal Police were brought in to investigate ASIO. Operation Liver failed to pin its main suspect, the Russian translator, George Sedil. So what happened with Liver? Well, Liver was stopped by political intervention. Liver was called off by the Attorney-General and um, Gerard Walsh on the grounds it was getting out of control. 
Gerard Walsh was the Deputy Director General of ASIO. The man at the top was the Prime Minister, Paul Keating. Now, unless he's in with a question in his hand written by someone on his staff, he's useless. Keating was confident. Unless you're scripted, you're useless. Known for his verbal takedowns of his political opponents. Give him a valium, Mr. Speaker. He needs it. Wasp tells me Keating had concerns about ASIO after Operation Liver failed to find the mole. Keating was also under pressure to do something from other Western intelligence agencies, like the CIA and MI6. They were worried the information they were sharing with Australia was leaking. Paul Keating's attitude was, we put up with this for a long time. This organisation has done us more harm than good. Given this the length and duration of liver and as a result, we should wind it up. In 1993, Keating called for an inquiry into national security, including the infiltration of ASIO. Another one. It seems like there's nothing Canberra loves more than an inquiry. To lead this inquiry, Keating appointed a man named Michael Cook. Cook was a well-regarded diplomat. He'd been Australia's ambassador to the US and had also worked in intelligence. Cook was incredibly well-connected, like his daughter had dated a young college graduate named Barack Obama, who apparently became quite successful. By this stage, the mid-90s, it was unclear who could be trusted in ASIO. I've been told Michael Cook got to handpick the spies and public servants he would work with and limited it to a close circle. In late 1994, when the inquiry was complete, Cook produced a report that became known as the Cook Report. It was decided that what Cook found out should remain a secret. I've heard that only one copy was made and handed to Prime Minister Keating, who only shared it with some of his senior staff. That's why I'm here in this apartment, with the Wonder Cat and the Orchids, because Wasp, while I can't say exactly what he was doing during the Cook inquiry, was uniquely positioned in Canberra to try and find out what Cook had uncovered. People want to tell you things. See, you get this impression that uh, people don't want to tell you things. It's not true. They really do want to tell you things. If you ask the right questions, even if you don't ask the right questions, they still want to disclose, especially in Canberra. Mm. A very insecure application, actually. There were four people identified. I'd been looking for multiple moles, and now Wasp was telling me the Cook Report identified four people, four suspected moles. That's not all. Wasp says ASIO let them go. And they were paid out, superannuated out, under a special clause given into a different stream of retirees so they couldn't be identified. So they retired with full pensions and superannuation entitlements. How do you know that? It's a net assessment. You get all information from disparate sources, you put it together, you get an aggregate, then you make a net assessment and grade all the sources according to reliability. A lot of people were embittered about that when they wanted it known. 
Mm. A lot of people were really embittered, people, especially people who were denied superannuation rights and uh, denied compensation of various things. I found that four people who were highly suspected of treason, prima facie traitors, were not being punished, but in fact received a reward in the form of full entitlements. If what Wasp is telling me is true, there's a report somewhere in Canberra with the names of four suspected moles. And those moles were quietly retired to live out their days gardening or reading or doing whatever it is that retired moles do. This seems incredible, but it might not actually be the conspiracy it sounds like. To understand why, I need to tell you about a strange transition point in history. We're talking about the mid-1990s. The Soviet Union had collapsed, and with it, one of the central targets of Western intelligence agencies. So ASIO, who'd been created to weed out Soviet spies in Australia, had lost their main enemy. They were facing an existential crisis. What is their job now? What do you do in the office every day if the focus of your work has disappeared? This is before 9-11, before China became an emerging superpower, before Vladimir Putin became the leader of Russia, when new threats made spy agencies important again. At this transition point, like many Western intelligence agencies, ASIO was downsized. Redundancies were being given out. It would have been the perfect time to get rid of a few suspected moles without suspicion. The perfect cover-up. Do you have any other thoughts on the penetration question? Only if it has never been solved and never will be solved. Because there's too many interests involved, too many reputations. Too much damage will be done if the truth came out. Okay, so we checked the Freedom of Information Act. It's exempt, impossible to obtain by FOI. I need to get my hands on the Cook Report. Unfortunately for me, it might be one of the most secret documents in Australian history. It seemed like a long shot to try and get the Cook Report, so here I am, handing another impossible task to my editor, Claire Weaver. The application has to go to the agency that commissioned the report in the first place. After being passed back and forth between government departments, we realised that this application was going to have to go all the way to the top, to the office of the current Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. So does that mean you think it actually is going to go across Albo's desk? Is that part of it? Not necessarily, but it does have to go to his office because it has to be the equivalent. So the equivalent of Paul Keating. I mean, it could. It yeah. could do. He's got, I, some, I doubt he's got some paperwork to do. Yeah. And why aren't you hopeful? Because it's obviously such a secret document. Not a whole lot of people would have made these kind of applications, but I don't think we're the first and it hasn't been released previously. Not long after we sent it off, we got a call from a helpful archivist telling us that our application had been received, but that we shouldn't hold our breath. A decision on our request to have the Cook Report released was due at the end of October last year. We're still waiting for a decision. If you haven't already worked it out listening to this series, this might be a good time to say that the Australian government, compared to other democracies, loves secrets. Australia has more than 800 separate secrecy laws that make it illegal to release information held by the federal government. 
This is the system Claire and I are working against. I tried contacting those directly involved in the Cook inquiry. Ideally, I'd speak to Michael Cook himself, but he died in 2017. So I tried the former Prime Minister, Paul Keating. I managed to get his phone number. Are we calling Paul Keating right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, you, why are you nervous? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just... I just can't imagine this going well. Okay. And also, it's the former Prime Minister. Imagine doing this in, in... I mean, this is so unique to Australia, right? Mm. That we actually managed to get a number and that we can just try and call him. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a former Prime Minister and he has more time in his hands than a current Prime Minister. Okay. Let's have a go. <laughs> yeah. You might leave the message. Thank you. Oh, hi, um, Mr. Keating. Uh, my name is Joey Watson. I'm, I'm a journalist and I'm sorry to disturb you. Um, I've spent the last couple of years doing some research into ASIO during the Cold War and particularly the penetration question, which I understand you were in some ways involved. Okay, well, um, I guess now at least we've got it in his phone and we know that that was his number because that was definitely his voice, right? Save that number. Yeah, that was definitely his voice. I think so. 100%. Absolutely. I Even love this. You get the call back, who's calling? Paul Keating. Should I put a little, like, a love heart emoji or something next to his? <laughs> well, can't you give it, like, star or VIP status? Yeah. Oh, no, a brain. A brain. I'll give him a brain. Nice. Yeah. That's complimentary. That's complimentary, it is. Paul Keating with the brain emoji, still hasn't called me back. I did email him with some questions and got a response from his assistant. The email says Keating can't recall anything relating to the Cook inquiry and that he didn't want to be involved in the podcast. I had no choice but to take his word for it. Keating was a dead end. So I went through his inner circle at the time, senior government ministers and staffers, to see if they knew anything. Yes, hi, sorry, um, sorry. My name's uh, Joey Watson, I'm a journalist. I hope you don't mind this call. I'm revisiting a story that you might be familiar with and it tends to float around from time to time. Most of them hung up immediately, said they didn't know what I was talking about. One did admit to having seen the Cook Report, but said that if he told me anything, he would have to kill me. All right, well, thanks for uh, taking my call, sorry to... So to disturb you. I think he was joking. Mostly. Almost nine months passed and we still hadn't got a response to our application to have the Cook Report released. The one that technically needed to go across the desk of the current Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Claire had contact with the Prime Minister's office, telling us to contact the PM's department, which is separate from his office. But the department said it was the responsibility of the National Archives. But the archives said it was the responsibility of the department. We were going around in circles with no formal response. It felt like there was only one thing left to do. Okay, Claire. Yes, Joey. (laughs) What the hell are we doing? We are driving to the Central Coast because the Prime Minister is having a presser 
and you want to ask him why his government will not release the Cook Report. Yeah, okay. Okay, this is a perfectly normal and healthy thing to do for one's job. <laughs> <laughs> we are holding power to account, Joey. Oh, yeah. Yes, a, yes. absolutely legitimate public interest journalism. We got word that Albanese was giving a press conference about an hour and a half away. It was going to be tight to get there on time. We managed to get keys for a company car that, for reasons I don't have time to explain, has the words Black Thunder printed on the side. And to add to the stress, the fuel's running low. What are we going to do about petrol? Should we just keep going? Use the left the two lanes to turn left. I practice what I'm going to say. Claire plays the part of Mr Albanese. Prime Minister, congratulations on your engagement. Um, Joey Watson from Listener Podcasts. Thank uh, you, your, your government's been a big advocate for transparency. I'm wondering why you won't release the Cook Report, which investigated the Cold War era penetration of ASIO by the KGB. Oh, I don't know. I'm not aware of this case. Can you guarantee that we're at least going to get a response as to why it won't be released? Oh, well, I'll have to consult my people on that. Can you make a guarantee? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's but, great. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm really nervous. It says take the next left. Medical right, practice. There's, Sorry, there's the medical practice. And I'm going to take this spot here. Yeah. I realise that I'm about to derail a press conference about Australia's healthcare system. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, this crowd's not too big. This is good. Claire parks and we run up to where the journalists are gathering. I really need to wee, but I'm going to hold it. Albanese's got local politicians on either side of him. He's introduced and then steps up to the microphone. Thanks so much. It's fantastic to be back on the coast. He talks about healthcare. These 58 urgent care clinics are now up and running <coughs> right around the country. This one here has only been opened since December. Then it's time for questions. I try to get mine in. Prime Minister, so do you reckon I could ask you about the, the Hobart Stadium? Do you think the AFL needs to chip in? There's a lot of journalists here. We're determined to get this right. Eventually, I get my shot. Can I just very quickly, uh, Prime Minister, you've been a big advocate for government transparency. Can I ask why your government hasn't released the Cook Report, which 30 years ago looked into the penetration of ASIO by the Soviet Union's KGB? Albanese looks puzzled. Wow, not a question I was expecting. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm an investigative journalist that listen to podcasts, and we've been working on a podcast series about this topic. We put in an application over nine months ago, so the deadline is well and truly passed. Can we just at least get a guarantee that we will get a response? I'm not going to give you a guarantee for something that you have not raised with me uh, or something that happened 30 years ago. Okay. And I'm not sure what the national security implications are of that. Okay. So... You've raised it legitimately. I will, I will ask about it, but I must say I wasn't expecting to get a question today about something that occurred 30 years ago. So okay. Good luck with your research. Thanks, Prime Minister. I think everyone here, including the Prime Minister, thinks I'm a conspiracy theorist. In the middle of questions about the news of the day, there I was asking him about something that happened 30 years ago. I felt like the Prime Minister was wondering, with so much going on in the world, why did the Cook Report matter? To be honest, I was starting to wonder the same thing. But if it doesn't matter, 
then why won't ASIO or the government release it? The people in power weren't going to let me in on the Cook Report's findings. I had to try a different tact. ASIO's official history. The same official history the ASIO spokeswoman pointed me to in episode four. In 2009, ASIO commissioned a history of itself. Three chunky books were published. I've read them. They're dense. Although the last chapter of the third book has a really intriguing title, Looking for Moles. Unfortunately, the chapter is just a summary of information that's already out there. It doesn't break much ground and definitely doesn't give any new names. But the authors of the history were given unrestricted access to ASIO's files and documents from across the decades they were writing about. I wondered if that included the Cook Report. I contacted one of the authors of the third book, Professor John Blacksland. I met him at his office in Canberra. It's very unusual. I've had an unusual career path. Blacksland has a military background, which means he could get the required security clearance to work with ASIO. So I got the job. It meant that I had a pretty well unfettered access to the records unredacted inside ASIO to write the history. Blackson couldn't just write anything he wanted, though. It would ultimately be vetted by ASIO before being published. As the project went on, he noticed that ASIO, even though they'd commissioned the history in the first place, became more resistant. When we were writing the history of ASIO, when we started, the idea of foreign political interference and espionage seemed a fairly esoteric, historical, almost anachronistic concept that we could write about with fairly liberal discretion. By the end of the project, they were getting nervous. Times have changed. In the period from when the official history was commissioned to when it was published, the world became more uncertain, like Russia was becoming more active. ASIO became more careful about what it revealed about itself, They didn't want Australia's enemies to know how they did their spying. We're not at war with anybody, but we're in a very competitive environment. So given that ASIO became more secretive, even to its own historian, I needed to try and gauge what sort of access Blacksland actually had. Have you read the Cook Report? Yes. You were given access to the Cook Report as part of your... I was not allowed to take any notes, though. I wasn't allowed to take notes and I wasn't allowed to quote from it. What did it look like? It's a hefty tome. <laughs> it's a comprehensive work. Yeah, it's a very detailed examination. Michael Pook was a fastidious officer, an intelligent man. He knew what he was doing and he also knew that it was politically problematic mm. for the government. And I think, you know, Cook, and I don't know this for a fact, but I surmise that Cook must have briefed Keating and Keating said, make sure this doesn't get in the media. I don't want this in the news. So just make it go away. That's what I surmise happened, because it did, it went away. That report has never emerged from the safes inside Asia. Very few people have ever read it. It is very damning of certain individuals, but not sufficiently watertight in the prescription of the offences to warrant a 
you know, open and shut case before the courts that would subject ASIO and the government to unbearable scrutiny. And it's been reported that the Cook Report focused on four individuals in particular, and all four of them were retired from the organisation with plus, full pensions. Plus. Four plus. Four plus. So four suspected moles. This confirmed what I'd learnt from Wasp in the apartment in Melbourne. But Blackstone's going even further. So there are many more people who were retired because there was a circle of influence around which these four people, you could not reliably be sure that their tentacles didn't reach further, so you had to go further to get the tentacles, the possible tentacles. They had to be removed. So from the information I gathered, there's a Barry report that identifies four Australian spies who may have betrayed their country to spy for the KGB. Not only have the potential traders gotten away with it and been allowed to quietly retire, ASIO has never had to answer for the damage the penetration by the KGB may have caused. There was one final place I went to for answers. Wasp had mentioned a man named Gerard Walsh. He'd been ASIO's Deputy Director General and apparently called off Operation Liver. Walsh could help me get to the heart of this story, separate fact from fiction, information from disinformation. When I contacted him, he sounded reluctant but ultimately agreed to meet at a cafe. As I was driving to meet him, I get a text. I just got a text, I'm reading it now, from Gerard Walsh. He says he's been very unwell and hoped he would improve. But that is not the case, so I'll have to cancel today's meeting. Apologies, Gerard Walsh. <sighs> okay, well, there's not much I can do about that. I really, really hope he feels better soon. I tried to organise another time for us to meet. Walsh didn't respond. Months later, in a final effort, I visited his house and brought some chocolate-coated cranberries with me. He wasn't home, so I left a note. I took the cranberries with me, though. They would have melted otherwise. It was a sunny day. I heard nothing back. Maybe I should have left the cranberries. Anyway, it was pretty clear from the brick walls I was encountering that I wasn't going to get any closer to finding any moles or what was in the Cook Report from anyone in Australia. I was going to have to try and make contact with spies who had worked for the enemy to see if they talk about their operation to try and recruit moles in ASIO. Dear Joey, of course there have been KGB moles in the West remain unexposed. Some have gone to their graves. That's next time on Secrets We Keep, 
nest of traitors. If you're having a good time listening to this podcast, please leave a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. And tell your friends, maybe if we get enough five-star reviews, the Australian government will decide to release the Cook Report. Subscribe and follow Secrets We Keep to stay up to date. And a reminder, if you want to hear more from us, we have a whole YouTube series. It's called Nest of Traders Declassified, where we go behind the scenes on every episode. And if you have any feedback or information about this story, send us a message. Our email is secretsweekeep at sca.com.au. Or you could also send me a letter, GPO Box 22, Sydney, New South Wales. That's a lot of info. You can find it all in the show notes. Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traitors is created and hosted by me, Joey Watson. Our supervising producer is Jake Morecambe, executive producer, Ellen Liebeter. Sound design by Niall Fernandez, Bonnie Lavelle and Alastair Kirkby did fact-checking, Matt Nikolic made the theme song, and thanks to Amy Goggins. This episode was recorded on Wurundjeri and Gadigal land, and I'd like to pay respects to elders past and present.